We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Away we go. Episode 115 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 4th, 2021, and we are still, as of the taping of this podcast, awaiting word on the status of the Wizards' pursuit of Spencer Dinwiddie. What up with the Wiz and Dinwiddie? What it do between the Wiz and Dinwiddie? We, late night on Monday night, had multiple reports that a deal was close. I said that a deal was close. It means you're close. Yes, Brucifer. A deal was said to be close, but as of me taping this, and it right now is 1.12 a.m. on Wednesday, no word on a sign-and-trade between the Wizards and Brooklyn Nets involving Spencer Dinwiddie having been agreed on. Signing trades are complicated. Heck, everything in the NBA in terms of player movement is complicated. The NBA salary cap and contract rules are like the tax code. The league is almost impossible to follow in the offseason in terms of the mechanics of trades and free agency because they're also needlessly complicated. But anyway, the Wizards are in the midst of NBA free agency, which got going officially Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern. And the Wizards keep losing, guys. We keep expecting the Spencer Dinwiddie item to come, but it still has not come, at least as of the taping of this podcast. But yeah, I mentioned the Wizards losing, guys. Ish Smith is gone Tuesday afternoon. Multiple reports that Wizards unrestricted free agent Ish Smith has agreed on a one-year deal with the Charlotte Hornets. By the way, Ish, in playing for the Hornets, will play for a 12th NBA franchise, tying an NBA record. Four other guys have each played for at least 12 franchises. And here's what's interesting. Three of the four guys were coached in college by Gary Williams. Uh, The four guys are Joe Smith, Tony Massenburg, Jim Jackson, and Chucky Brown. Joe and Tony played for Gary at Maryland. Jim played for Gary at Ohio State. Ish, I tell you what, great name, Ish Smith. Uh, And this this past regular season for the Wizards, he was good in terms of a backup point guard. 172 assists versus 41 turnovers. 3.9 assists per game versus 0.9 
turnovers per game. Also gone from the Wizards now is Robin Lopez, as we on Tuesday afternoon had multiple reports that Wizards unrestricted free agent Robin Lopez, a.k.a. Rolo, has agreed on a one-year deal with the Orlando Magic. And Rolo, I think, will always be fondly remembered by those of us who are Wizards fans. He did a nice job for the Wiz in his lone season with the team. He had the old man's game going on, but he was effective. Rolo, this past regular season, number two among all qualified NBA players in two-point shooting percentage at 64.9 for basketball reference. But yeah, Ish gone, Rolo gone, Alex Len is gone. That news broke on Monday evening. Uh, Len, per multiple reports, agreeing on a two-year deal with the Sacramento Kings as an unrestricted free agent. We're still waiting on a big acquisition here by the Wizards, so we'll see. I mean, I don't know if Spencer Dinwiddie qualifies as a big acquisition, but that's supposed to be something. Uh, But we're still waiting on the something actually going down. Oh, by the way, there was one other Wizards item uh, from Tuesday. Wizards owner Ted Leonsis in a piece by ESPN NHL insider Emily Kaplan that was published on Tuesday said regarding the Wizards having traded Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers that Westbrook did in fact ask to be traded. Quote, we had a superstar player with the Wizards. He had an opportunity and wanted to be traded to the Lakers. End quote. So that confirms what had been reported that Westbrook had asked to be traded. Uh, he, of course, played his college ball at UCLA. Well, know that I will never ask to leave you because we have so much to get to on a daily basis here on the Al Galdi podcast. And this show is no different. The Washington football team has it turned the corner on the team's COVID 19 situation. Of all of the negativity, Over the last few weeks, when it comes to the Washington football team and COVID-19 and the player vaccination rate, is the Washington football team now flying when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic? The team's player vaccination rate has increased dramatically. The team on Tuesday activated three of the seven players on the reserve COVID-19 list. Things are happening, people. Things are trending upward. I'll talk about what's going on and much more with the Washington football team next segment, including how two rookies in Samuel Cosme and Dayami Brown are doing at training camp. Remember, nobody is giving you Washington football team coverage like the Al Galdi podcast. Both the Nationals and Orioles did lose on Tuesday night. I have some thoughts on those games for you later in the show. I'm also going to do a deep dive on this issue of the Nats not extending slash re-signing homegrown players. A lot of Nats fans are not happy about the Nats trading Trey Turner to the Los Angeles Dodgers as opposed to keeping Trey Turner and extending or re-signing Trey Turner. We had a tweet on Tuesday morning from a prominent national MLB insider that shed some light on the Nats situation with Trey Turner. I want to have this conversation with you of why the Nats were right to not truly want to extend Trey Turner. And it's not like a bash Trey Turner segment or anything like that. There's a larger phenomenon going on here that needs to be recognized. And I feel like it's not recognized nearly enough. There's a lot being said and written about this issue right now. It is time to set the record straight and set the record straight. We shall. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I owe you guys another thank you. Uh, This podcast, the Al Galdi podcast on Tuesday skyrocketed 21 spots of the Apple podcast rankings in the U.S. football category. Top 35 in the country are we. That is a credit to you. So thank you. I appreciate all of you guys listening, downloading, spreading the word. Uh, If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider doing so. Doing so costs you nothing. It ensures that the podcast is on your device on a day-in, day-out basis. Uh, Also, if you have the time, and this does not take much time, please give the podcast a five-star rating and just write like, you know, a one-sentence review or more if you prefer uh, about how much you like the podcast. Those things do help out quite a bit, but your support continues to be so appreciated. Before we go any further, uh, you do know it did happen again on Tuesday. What is it? Oh, come on. You know what it is. Ron Rivera, during his post-Washington football team training camp practice press conference, was asked the following by Washington football team insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times about Kendall Fuller. We've seen Kendall Fuller going in the slot, mix and match your options there, I know position flex and all that, but um, is there something you like with Kendall Fuller specifically there 
in that position? Not necessarily, because he's, he's a good outside guy as well. But, you know, Kendall does a lot of different things for us. And, and, and that's, again, you mentioned the position flex is important. Um, and we're really just trying to find out what our best sub package is going to be in terms of who's going to play that nickel position. And there it was, position flex. Reference number three of 2021 Washington football team training camp. Ron's favorite phrase, the phrase that pays position flex. And in this instance, you knew that the reference was coming because Paris was like, I know position flex and all that. See, Paris tried to gloss over position flex. Paris tried to counteract the position flex reference before it happened. Take a listen. Position flex and all that, but... um... Yeah, so Paris did what he did, but Ron said, no, 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 homie, I'm still going to do my thing. How could Ron not do his thing? And so Ron gave it to us. You mentioned that position flex is important. Yes, position flex. Few things excite Ron Rivera, Don Ron, as much as position flex, and few things are better than commission flex, which is a close cousin of position flex, and which is a major feature of using one of the great friends of the Al Galdi podcast, John Granlin of Real Broker, as your real estate agent. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, contact my guy, John Granlin, aka John G. And understand, whereas Ron Rivera has position flex, John Granlin has commission flex. Position flex is important. Yes, Ron, you have position flex. John G has commission flex. What is commission flex, you ask? It's very simple. Flexible commission rates. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? This doesn't make sense. This has never made sense. John Granlin is changing the game. Let John G put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. You see, John Granlin has a menu of commission packages that you can choose from, including selling your home for free. Yeah, zero commission. You heard that right. For free, some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Granlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly, and there is never any obligation to list or sell. Do yourself a favor and call John Granlin. He's a great guy, big Washington football team fan, big Nationals fan, but nobody will do a better job of selling your home. The phone number is 703-537-6747. When you call him, make sure you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure you say to him, hey, I want to hear more about what I keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. The phone number again, 703-537-6747. You can also check them out online at johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Granlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And never forget, John G is the master of Commission Flex. Position flex is important. Yes, Ron. Position flex is important, just like commission flex. So we on Tuesday had the first padded practice of 2021 Washington football team training camp. The violence was taken up a notch. Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday. Well, you know, I saw a lot of... uh, uh Anxious guys wanting to get out there and, 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 and bump and, and run into each other. Um, you, you did feel the energy ramped up. Uh, what was really neat about it was we had uh, the two-minute drill. The referees you know, went through their mechanics, which I think really helped us. The guys really got into it. Uh, that was really neat to see uh, the energy in which they, they practiced with. The, um, the thing that, you know, you, you, you do see some things change, uh, how it affects certain plays, you know, because when you're not in pads, running's a little bit different, okay? Running the football's a little bit different. When you're not in pads, passing's a little bit different. And so the players have got to adjust to that. They've got to adjust to the play action. You know, play action sounds different. Play action looks different. Uh, that's just the way it is because without the pads on, uh, things don't, don't, aren't, aren't mimicked the right way. So there's a little bit of that that the defensive players have to get used to. 
Yeah, interesting points there made by Ron. Why and how is play action different with pads on? Well, because of the, because of the action. If it's a running play at the point of attack, it's, it's going to sound different. If it's a play action and you're faking the run, it's not going to have the same sound. And so that's, that plays into it for the players. You know, the, 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 the defensive guys have to honor that a little bit more. It helps the offense. I like that from Ron. You see, you learn things listening to Don Ron at his pressers. Uh, are there some players who practice differently or better in pads? Yes. When, 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 when you're not in pads, some guys put the pads on, they become more aggressive. You know, they're not afraid to run into people at that point. Um, and it becomes a little bit different. And, and you see it. You see it by how quickly they play, how much faster they play. Uh, other guys put the pads on, and now the consequences are there in terms of, of contact. And now they overthink it. And so it slows those guys down. And you see that once you get the pads on. It's a whole different game for a lot of guys because of, of their mentality, how much they'll think. Or, or in some cases, some of them just won't think they'll just go. And Ron even gave us an example of a guy who was all about having pads on, Jamin Davis. Like you watch Jamin, he put the pass on and he just kept running into people. I mean, that's, that's his mentality. Um, and, and that's what you're looking for in guys. Yeah, Jamin Davis seemed more involved on Tuesday of having dealt with an eye infection of having been poked in the eye. Some other injury updates from Tuesday. Samis Reyes, the basketball player turned tight end who has never played football at any meaningful level. He tweaked a knee on Tuesday. James Smith-Williams, who Ron has referenced as perhaps being Washington's number three edge rusher. He's day-to-day dealing with a lower leg injury. Kyle Allen, still day-to-day of tweaking his surgically repaired left ankle on Saturday. John Allen, still day-to-day as he deals with a hamstring. But DeShazer Everett was back. Washington on Tuesday activated DeShazer off the active non-football illness list, which he had been on since the first day of training camp, July 27th. So DeShazer now part of a safety mix for Washington that includes Landon Collins, Cameron Curl, Bobby McCain, Jeremy Reeves, Derek Forrest. Ron on Tuesday on now having DeShazer as part of Washington's crowded competition at safety. It is very crowded, but, you know, DeShazer isn't just a good safety, but he's, he's, he's a heck of a special teams player. So it was good to have him out there. He brought energy, and that's what he does for us. He, he, he plays at a high tempo, and, and, and you see other guys pick up on that as well. So it was good to have DeShazer back. Yeah, DeShazer, a very valuable special teams player for Washington for years now. He was named Washington's special teams player of the year for the 2017 season. DeShazer is actually one of the longest tenured members of the Washington football team. He entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent out of Texas A&M with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in May 2015. Washington signed him on August 1st, 2015. Washington has waived DeShazer. Washington has practice squatted DeShazer. Washington has changed DeShazer's position as the team moved him from corner to safety prior to the 2016 season. But DeShazer effort has lasted with Washington. I give him a lot of credit, and he helped to bring stability to the back end of the defense last season, right? It was DeShazer who replaced Troy Apke as Washington's starting free safety last season. DeShazer in the loss at the New York Giants in week six started at free safety over Apke, who had started at free safety in each of Washington's first five games of the 2020 season. DeShazer started four consecutive games, then missed two straight games due to an ankle injury, then started the next two games, and then was placed on the reserve injured list on December 17th due to a chest injury. So he needs to stay healthy. Availability has been an issue for DeShazer Everett. He, in the 2019 season, was placed on the reserve injured list on December 7th due to a shoulder injury. My favorite thing about DeShazer Everett is that he is a hard hitter. He brings the lumber. Uh, If you remember, DeShazer took it to Dallas receiver C.D. Lamb in Washington's win over the Cowboys at FedEx Field in week seven of last season. C.D. is still having nightmares about DeShazer. DeShazer brings it strong, just like Dr. George Verghese, the medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. He's a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And specific to that, Dr. George Verghese and his institute offer something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, 
and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option. And Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area. And SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. They do great work. They are your go-to source if you're having a dermatological issue, and they are nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. So also on Tuesday, the Washington football team activated three players off the reserve COVID-19 list. Yes, off all of the bad news recently regarding the Washington football team and the COVID-19 pandemic, we got a truckload of good news on Tuesday. So Washington on Tuesday activated Matt Ioannidis off the reserve COVID-19 list, which he had been on since last Thursday. Washington on Tuesday activated Cornelius Lucas off the reserve COVID-19 list, which he had been on since the first day of training camp, July 27th. And Washington on Tuesday activated corner Chris Miller off the reserve COVID-19 list, which he had been on since last Thursday. So three different Washington football team players come off the reserve COVID-19 list on Tuesday. The number of Washington players on the reserve COVID-19 list now is at four. And we got very good news on Tuesday regarding Washington's COVID-19 player vaccination rate Assuming that you consider players getting vaccinated for COVID-19 good news, if you don't, then well, I guess this is bad news. But we on Tuesday had multiple reports that Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players was at 84%. Yeah, 84%. That is quite a climb from where things had been. We on July 16th had multiple reports that Washington still had a COVID-19 player vaccination rate of less than 50%. We on July 22nd had a report from Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington that Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players was between 50 and 60%. We this past Saturday had a report from Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post that Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players was at at least 70%. And then on Tuesday, multiple reports that Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players was at 84%. So in a period of less than three weeks, Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players has gone from less than 50% to between 50 and 60% to at least 70% to 84%. That's a substantial increase. That, that is a surge. That, that is a cryptocurrency-like surge. For all of the negativity out there regarding the Washington football team's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players, the rate has shot up over the last two and a half weeks. Now, a few caveats to all of this, because as we all know by now with COVID-19, the facts can be confusing, the data can be misrepresented, and you're not sure what to believe half the time. So players being vaccinated includes players who have received one dose of a vaccine, as well as players who have been fully vaccinated. So that's a key point. Not every quote unquote vaccinated player has received both shots of a vaccine. Also, Washington still did rank near the bottom of the NFL in terms of player vaccination rate for COVID-19, Washington being at 84% only ranked 27th out of 32 NFL teams. Yeah, understand the COVID-19 vaccination rate among all NFL players as of Tuesday was at 90%. Yeah, 90% of NFL players had received at least one shot of a COVID-19 vaccine. That blows away the overall COVID-19 vaccination rate in this country. The COVID-19 vaccination rate among all adults in the U.S. per data from the CDC was at 70% as of data published on Monday. And again, uh, this includes people who have received one dose of a vaccine as well as people who have been fully vaccinated. So 70% of all U.S. adults 
vaccinated for COVID-19. 90% of all NFL players vaccinated for COVID-19. So some context there for you. But the overall takeaway is that the concern of Washington facing major competitive disadvantages this coming season due to having so many players not having been vaccinated for COVID-19, that concern now has lessened significantly. This is a big deal. I feel like not enough of a big deal was made of this on Tuesday. To say nothing, by the way, of those Washington football team players who haven't been vaccinated for COVID-19, but have had COVID-19. Now, I'm not sure how many Washington players fall into that category, but you'd think there are at least a few And thus, those guys may have the antibodies for COVID-19 without having been vaccinated for COVID-19. You can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Clay. He writes, feel like we are missing an inside the numbers take on these rising COVID vaccination percentages for the WFT. You figure if the 84% number is really a vax per 90 when we really need to know their vax per 53 or vax per 69 if practice squad is included. So a vax per 90 gives me 14 players missing shots. So my vax per 53 could be as low as 74%. But assuming my practice squad will keep none of the 14 holdouts, I get a vax per 69 of 80%. I just need four out of the 14 and my vax per 69 works out. What we really need is VVOA, vaccinated value over average, to determine how many of the 14 holdouts are roster locks because of their talent level. Anyway, enough of my lame attempt at some scheduled fun, but it would be good to pulse the beat reporters to get a sense of how big that entrenched group is because it does seem likely we are talking about four players who need to change their minds. Does this roster really have more than 10 put up with my S players and some of those types of players like Terry Slash Fitz, got their shots already. I like that email from Clay. I mean, anything that concocts a new advanced metric, in this case, VVOA, vaccinated value over average, you got to love. But the math does matter here. So 84% of 90 is 76. The question that matters the most with Washington's COVID-19 player vaccination issue from a football standpoint is, who are those 14 players? Not to shame them, But to get an idea of, okay, are those 14 players mostly guys who are likely to be cut in the cut down to 53? Or are those 14 players mostly guys likely to make Washington's season opening roster? And does that number of 14 come down to say 10 or 5 or 0? Or is that number 14 going to hold steady? Is Washington ultimately going to be competitively disadvantaged this coming season via the COVID-19 protocols. Because here's the thing. At this point, there's no longer a competitive advantage to an NFL team having a high COVID-19 player vaccination rate. There's just a competitive disadvantage to an NFL team not having a high COVID-19 player vaccination rate. Like I said, Washington being at 84% only ranked 27th out of 32 NFL teams. Pretty much every team now has a high rate. 90% of NFL players had received at least one shot of a COVID-19 vaccine. So this whole competitive advantage, competitive disadvantage thing, as I see it, all you really have now is a competitive disadvantage, not a competitive advantage, if most teams are at at least 90%. Being at 90% isn't a competitive advantage. It's just that being at less than 90% is a competitive disadvantage. All right, so with Cornelius Lucas off the reserve COVID-19 list, That can mean that the right tackle competition that we were supposed to have, we now can have. Although you now have to wonder, are we truly going to have that competition? It felt to me going into training camp that the starting right tackle job was Samuel Cosme's to lose. The reviews of Cosme in training camp so far have been mixed, but the only reviews that matter are those of the Washington coaching staff, especially those of Ron Rivera, Scott Turner, and John Matsko. Ron on Tuesday on how Cosme is doing. He's coming along very well, very nicely. The nice thing for him is who he practices against. You know, he practices against Montez. He practices against Chase. You know, he's, t- he's practicing against all of our front-line guys, and he's holding his own. And, and, and that is very, very encouraging, especially now that we have pads on. You know, there were some things that he did that were very good. Um, there are some things that he's got to work on. He's got to understand. But a guy like him with what he's done to date has been very, very encouraging for us as far as his opportunity to play for us right away. 
And Ron made a key point there. Cosby has been going up against Chase Young and Montez Sweat in these training camp practices. You would not expect Cosby to look outstanding in camp. He's a rookie. He was taken in the second round of the 2021 NFL Draft, but he is surviving against Young and Sweat, and at least according to Ron, is doing well. There was some strong praise there from Ron Rivera on Samuel Cosme. Quote, he's coming along very well, very nicely, end quote. And how about what Ron said at the end of the cut? Take a listen again. A guy like him with what he's done to date has been very, very encouraging for us as far as his opportunity to play for us right away. Yeah, that sure seems to indicate that the starting right tackle job is Cosme's to lose, does it not? It may already be too late for Cornelius Lucas to lay his claim to being Washington's starting right tackle. Washington, to me, has wanted Cosme to win the job. Cosme was one of many athletic freaks taken by Washington in the 2021 draft. Ron and his crew, I believe, really like Cosme. They spent a second-round pick in the 2021 draft on Cosme. They released Morgan Moses on May 20th, just five days after the conclusion of Washington's 2021 rookie minicamp, which of course included Cosme. I mean, to me, it's hard to think that Cosme's performance at rookie minicamp had nothing to do with Washington releasing Moses just a few days later of not being able to trade him. While we're talking Washington rookies, how is Diami Brown doing? So the Washington football team with its second third round pick in the 2021 draft took Brown out of North Carolina. He was a very productive receiver for the Tar Heels. Diami Brown had back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons for UNC in 2019 and 2020, which were his sophomore and junior seasons. Brown, in his 2019 sophomore season, 51 receptions for 1,034 yards and 12 touchdowns. He averaged 20.27 yards per catch that season. And then Brown, in his 2020 junior season, 55 receptions for 1,099 yards and eight touchdowns. He averaged 19.98 yards per catch that season and was a semifinalist for the Bolitnikoff Award. Washington taking Diami Brown at number 82 overall in the 2021 draft was viewed as a value pick. ESPN NFL draft analyst Mel Kuyper Jr. on the uh, ESPN telecast of the second and third rounds of the 2021 draft said that he thought that Brown would be drafted in the second round or maybe even the first round. Kuyper called the pick, quote, a steal, end quote. Ron Rivera on Tuesday on what has stood out to him so far about Diami Brown. Um, his explosiveness, you know, his ability to get vertical, um, his ability to get open, especially in, um, you know, on, on those crossers. Uh, he, he's got a ways to go, but, but again, that speed is elite and, and that speed's going to help us. Yeah, Diami's speed is legit. He at the North Carolina Pro Day ran a 4-4-4-40. That's now four true speedsters for Washington at the offensive skill positions. You have Antonio Gibson, who at the 2020 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-9-40. You have Terry McLaurin, who at the 2019 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-5-40. And you have Curtis Samuel, who at the 2017 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-1-40. Speaking of Samuel, he does remain out. Uh, Curtis Samuel has yet to practice in training camp. Washington on July 27th, the first day, of Washington football team training camp, placed Samuel on the active, physically unable to perform list due to a groin injury. And then Washington last Thursday placed Samuel on the reserve COVID-19 list. Ron Rivera on Tuesday was asked if there's a point at which Samuel being out becomes concerning in terms of being up to speed, no pun intended, with the offense. We're not worried about that, really, honestly. He's a veteran guy. Um, you know, we, 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 we brought him in for a reason because of his abilities, what he does, and he'll be fine. I, I'm not concerned with it right now. Yeah, I would say this. I am not worried about Samuel not being up to speed with the offense. I think he'll be just fine in terms of having the proper speed with the offense. I'm at least a little concerned, though, about this groin injury. It kept him from practicing fully in the mandatory minicamp in June, and the injury was serious enough to where he began training camp on the active physically unable to perform list, what's known as the preseason pup list. You don't normally put a guy on that if you don't have any concerns. And obviously, groin injuries can be nagging and lasting. So you don't want this being something that's an issue well into the regular season. So I'm all for taking your time with Curtis Samuel in terms of launching him into training camp practice. But 
this is not just a nothing injury, uh, especially for a guy who is so dependent on his speed. Uh, this groin thing needs to be monitored and this needs to be gotten right because, again, what you don't want, obviously, is for this to still be a problem come the regular season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, what we had at Nationals Park on Tuesday night is what we are likely to have in Nats games quite a few more times over the course of the rest of this season. A blah game with a blah atmosphere and a blah result. The Nats more often than not this season have been in games, but the Nats more often than not this season have not won games, and that doesn't figure to change off the massive sell-off of last week. What was 100% the right call, but what of course also inflicts immediate harm to the Major League Club. The Nats lost to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park 5-4 on Tuesday night in Game 2 of a four-game series. The Nats now are back to being a season-worst nine games below 500. The record now is 49-58. and The run differential now is minus 30, although the Nats still are just six and a half games behind the National League East leading New York Mets, who lost their third consecutive game, a 5-4 loss at the Miami Marlins on Tuesday night. Boy, is this NL East bad this season. The Mets are in first with a record of 55-51 and and a run differential of minus 11. What's worse, the National League East this season or the NFC East last season? Compare and contrast. Uh, There was a very interesting tweet regarding the Nats That came out on Tuesday morning. I want to get to that in just a bit. But first, a few thoughts on Tuesday night's loss to the Phillies and a few other items. So the Nats offense on Tuesday night, like the game, was meh. Four runs, Nats had eight hits, a homer, and seven singles. Worked just two walks. I mean, the Nats did do some things. The Philly starting pitcher was Zach Wheeler. He's had a very good season. He did end up giving up four runs in seven and a third innings. So that is a pretty good job against one of the better pitchers in the National League this season. But There just wasn't enough happening offensively for the Nats in this game. Andrew Stevenson, not Victor Robles, was the Nats starting center fielder at number one batter. Stevenson went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Luis Garcia continued to be the Nats starting shortstop. He was the number seven batter, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. He left five men on base. Juan Soto is in kind of a funk right now, by his standards anyway. He's drawing walks and getting hits, but most of the hits are singles. Uh, Soto on Tuesday night, starting right fielder, number three batter, one for four uh, with a single. He had a two at first pitch single in the bottom of the sixth inning. The biggest blow from the Nats offensively was another Josh Bell home run. Uh, Bell was a starting first baseman and cleanup batter. He went one for four with a big two-run homer. He smashed a one-out two-run shot to the second deck in center field off Zach Wheeler in the bottom of the eighth inning to cut the Nats deficit to 5-4. And that was some shot by Bell, a projected 442 feet per stat cast. You don't see that often. I mean, if you're a Nats fan, you've watched a bunch of games in Nationals Park over the years, a home run reaching the second deck in center field. And yet that's what that home run did off the bat 
of Josh Bell. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez did get on base three times on Tuesday night. He was, again, the Nats starting left fielder and number five batter, two for three with two singles and a walk. Adrian Sanchez was, again, the Nats starting second baseman and number two batter as uh, Alcides Escobar remains out due to injury. Sanchez, two for four with two singles. So you had a few guys do some things, but ultimately not enough going on offensively for the Nats. I did want to note also we had some activity for the Nats at catcher on Tuesday. So Tres Barrera was the Nats starting catcher and number eight batter on Tuesday night. 0 for 4 with an RBI. He uh, had a one out RBI ground out in the Nats two run seventh inning. But the Nats earlier on Tuesday put Rene Rivera on the 10 day injured list retroactive to August 2nd with a right elbow contusion. And the Nats, as the corresponding roster move, recalled Riley Adams from AAA Rochester. Riley Adams is the guy who the Nats got from the Toronto Blue Jays last Thursday in the trade of Brad Hand to the Blue Jays. Uh, Riley Adams was the Nats' number 13 prospect per MLB pipeline. And Riley Adams made his Nats debut on Tuesday night. He struck out on five pitches for the final out of the game as a pinch hitter. Now remember, the Nats have essentially like replenished themselves at catcher in the minors with the sell-off because the Nats got back not just Riley Adams, but also Kiber Ruiz. And Kiber Ruiz, that's the prize possession here. He is the Nationals' number one prospect per MLB pipeline. He is the number 40 prospect in all of baseball per MLB pipeline. But the Nats right now want Ruiz to catch every day. So Ruiz is catching, at least for the moment here, uh, for AAA Rochester. So Adams was summoned to the major league level on Tuesday. This is really something, it's so rare that a team engages in a sell-off like the Nats did, and you end up seeing guys acquired in the sell-off at the major league level so soon. I mean, the sell-off took place last Thursday and Friday, here we are over these last few days. The Nats have started Josiah Gray in a game. He started the game on Monday night. Uh, relieving Gray in that game was Mason Thompson, who the Nats got in the sell-off as well. And now Riley Adams made his major league debut in this game on Tuesday night. Three prospects acquired by the Nats in the sell-off, which again took place last Thursday and Friday, already have made their Nats debuts. The Nats starting pitcher in the 5-4 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Tuesday night was Patrick Corbin. And uh, Patrick Corbin, man, this was some outing in terms of the highs and the lows. He started off terribly, then he was lights out, and then he was back to being really bad. Uh, The ultimate line ended up being four runs in seven innings. His, again, immediate beginning and his ending were bad, but his in-between was great. Uh, Corbin did finish with eight strikeouts versus one walk. You like that. He only gave up six hits. You like that. He threw 66 of 93 pitches for strikes. You like that. But he also allowed three home runs. So Corbin incredibly allowed a home run on his first pitch of the game. I mean, the game literally could not have started out worse for Corbin, right? This is a guy already's had a second consecutive bad season this season. He needs to try to end this season in a strong way. <laughs> what does he do on Tuesday night? First pitch, bomb. That's it. You're down one nothing. Gives up a first pitch leadoff homer to Gene Segura. But Corbin then retired 11 consecutive batters. This is part of a stretch of six scoreless innings. And then came Corbin giving up three runs in the top of the seventh inning, which he began by allowing three straight Phillies to reach base. Corbin gave up a leadoff homer to JT Riomuto, then issued a five-pitch walk of Alec Bohm, then gave up a first-pitch two-run homer to Ronald Torres. So at the end of the game, it's four runs in seven innings for Patrick Corbin. If that's Josiah Gray or Eric Fetty or Joe Ross, that's one thing. But this is Patrick Corbin, a guy who was in year three of a six-year, $140 million contract, especially with what's going on with Steven Strasburg, especially with Max Scherzer having been traded away. Patrick Corbin is supposed to be, in theory anyway, the Nats ace now. He is anything but that. Patrick Corbin now, over 21 starts this season, has an ERA of 574. He has a whip of 144. And how about this? He is allowing a career-worst 1.94 home runs per nine innings. Patrick Corbin has had a big time home run problem over these last two seasons. And you look at what he's done now this season. He's allowed 25 home runs on the season. That is tied for the third worst total in the majors. Home runs allowed. Patrick Corbin, only two of the guys in baseball have allowed more home runs this season than Patrick Corbin has allowed. Uh, The bullpen for the Nats on Tuesday night. Well, it was shaped by what happened on Tuesday. I mentioned the roster maneuvering at catcher. How about what the Nats did in terms of the pen on Tuesday? The Nats optioned Wander Suero 
to AAA Rochester. And I say it that way, not because like this was undeserved. Suero's been brutal over these last two outings for him. He was a disaster in the top of the eighth in the 6-5 walk-off win over the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. And then he was a mess in the top of the ninth in the 7-5 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Monday night. But you don't see this happen often. The Nats just demoting a reliever like this but the Nats have actually done this twice over the last few days. Did it with Tanner Rainey a few days ago and did it with Wander Suero on Tuesday. So Suero goes down to AAA Rochester. The corresponding roster move to that was the Nats selecting the contract of Javi Guerra from Rochester. Guerra has pitched for the Nats plenty before. And Guerra ended up pitching in this loss on Tuesday night. Guerra gave up a run in the top of the eighth on a one-out solo homer by our old pal Bryce Harper. And this was some shot by Harper. I mean, Josh Bell had the home run in the night but Bryce Harper's was a close number two. Harper's homer going to left center field on a one-two pitch. The homer going a projected 430 feet for StatCast. And Bryce played the heel to perfection upon crossing home plate on the homer. So he got booed a bunch at Nationals Park. He blew a kiss. He, he blew a kiss to Nats fans and gave a double I love you hand sign a la Jimmy Superfly Snooker back in the day in the WWF uh, upon crossing home plate. And the fans uh, ate it up. Uh, they were booing him like crazy. Harper enjoyed the heck out of it. You know, Harper loves to play the heel. Harper loves to be the bad guy. And you know what? I like stuff like that, okay? I mean, I want Nats fans to boo Bryce Harper, but I want the Nats to have a true rival. And ultimately, the Philadelphia Phillies, I think, are the team to fit that role. We'll see as time goes on if, in fact, that ends up going down. You know, it was set up perfectly with Harper going to Philadelphia, but we've had a hard time sort of delivering on that promise of a rivalry between the Nats and the Phillies because neither team has been great over these last few seasons here. I mean, the Nats were great, obviously, in 2019, but the Phillies were not. But I think this is good. Like, you want this kind of theater in Major League Baseball. So I'm not mad at Bryce one bit for what he did on Tuesday night. And it's a kind of thing to me in sports if you do well, then you have license to act like that. Now, you know, you can't act like a jerk, okay? But he didn't act like a jerk. He was having fun with the fans at Nationals Park. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So Guerra pitched the top of the eighth for the Nats. Ryan Harper tossed a perfect top of the ninth for the Nats. Ryan Harper, he does not get a lot of run. You know, the Nats don't seem to believe in him to any real degree, but Ryan Harper gets out. See, now is an ERA this season of 0.95. Again, a perfect top of the ninth inning on Tuesday night. Game three for the Nats against the Phillies at Nationals Park Wednesday night at 7.05. Starting for the Nats will be Paolo Espino coming off a really good outing this past Friday night. The 4-3 win over the Cubs at Nationals Park. Paolo in that game, one run in five and a third innings. He had six strikeouts versus one walk, gave up just four hits. The guy has done such a good job in this like all-purpose role this season. 61 into third innings over 24 games, including eight starts. ERA a 308. Whip a 104, 46 strikeouts versus 11 walks. All right, so I mentioned a tweet from Tuesday morning. The tweet came from MLB insider John Heyman. He tweeted the following quote, The Nats' last offer to Trey Turner was six years, about $100 million in March 2020. Nats people suggested publicly and privately. They planned to make another offer last spring, but ultimately didn't do so, end quote. Very interesting tweet from Heyman on Tuesday morning. So two things I want to say about this. Number one, assuming that what Heyman tweeted is entirely true, and there is reason to believe that it's true, because my co-host on the Nats Chat podcast, Mark Zuckerman, longtime Nats insider, for MassInSports.com, confirmed that Turner was offered a six-year contract extension worth about $100 million in March 2020. Then the Nats, to me, very clearly were not interested in signing Turner to a long-term extension. A six-year, $100 million contract extension, even back in March 2020, even before Trey Turner's big 2020 season, was never going to get a deal done in March 2020, in terms of a long-term deal for Trey Turner with the Nets. That, to me, was a classic low-ball offer. That, to me, was a classic offer of you make the offer knowing that the offer is going to be rejected. 
You make the offer so that it gets rejected, so that you can say, well, we tried. We offered them $100 million, you know, and eventually you can leak that to the media and the media can put that out there. And, you know, you could assume the role of jilted lover of, oh, well, we wanted him, but he turned us down. Whatever can we do? Okay. And then to not even make another offer since then, if that's literally true, then that tells you everything that you need to know. Now, there's nuance with this stuff. It may be that the Nats never made a formal offer to Trey Turner after March 2020, but had discussions with Trey Turner's camp. Like, you know, so you you never quite know the entire story on this. But if the gist of this is the last formal offer from the Nats to Trey Turner for a long-term contract extension was in March 2020, then, then that tells you all you need to know. The Nats never had any true desire to sign Trey Turner to a long-term deal. The New York Mets this past April signed their new shortstop, Francisco Lindor, to a 10-year, $341 million contract extension. Everyone in baseball knew that a mega-money Lindor extension was possibly slash probably coming. A team like the Nets, with a shortstop like Turner, knew that the shortstop market was about to be reset. To not even make another offer to Turner prior to the Lindor extension was a clear tell that the Nats didn't really want to do a deal. If you wanted to do a deal with Turner, you would have been trying like crazy to lock up Turner before that Lindor extension got done because you knew that the Lindor extension was going to reset the market. And if it was that Turner's camp didn't want to do a deal until after the Lindor extension was done, at least try hard to make a deal get done. Like at least say, well, you know, hey, here's 200 plus million dollars, okay? Uh, Will you do that? And as far as we can tell, the Nats didn't make a single other offer after that six-year, $100 million offer in March 2020. So that's where you start with all this. Number one, the Nats, assuming all this stuff is true, very clearly were not truly interested in signing Trey Turner to a long-term extension. Point number two, I don't think that it was wrong for the Nats to not have wanted to sign Trey Turner to a mega money contract extension. And I say this not because I have anything against Trey Turner. I don't. I think he's a very good player. I say this not because I have anything against athletes making big money. I don't. I want every athlete to make as much money as he or she can. I want all of you listening to make as much money as you guys can. But the history of mega money contracts in Major League Baseball is terrible. I mean, this is one of the biggest undeniable realities in all of pro sports, mega money contracts in especially major league baseball rarely work. For every one Mike Trout extension, there are five Felix Hernandez extensions. For every one Max Scherzer free agent contract, there are five Albert Pujols free agent contracts. Mega money deals, i.e. contracts for, say, $150 million or more, rarely work out, mainly because teams so often are paying guys in their 30s for what they did in their 20s. And in this PED testing era, guys are not aging gracefully in their 30s. Sure enough, the first free agency season for Trey Turner is set to be the 2023 season, which will be, wait for it, his age. 30 season. He's going into his 30s literally as his free agent years begin. That is a flashing neon sign telling you beware, buyer beware when it comes to giving Trey Turner a mega money deal. Additionally, this thing that's out there, and I've heard it and read it, and you likely have too, of, well, the Nats never extend their homegrown stars. What's the deal with the Nats? Why are the learners so cheap? when it comes to extending their homegrown stars. Well, let me ask you this question. Who among the Nats' homegrown stars do you wish that the Nats had extended in terms of a mega money deal, okay? Because the names that I come up with are all guys who I look at right now and I either say the Nats 100% made the right call in not extending that guy, or at the very least, the Nats uh, have a good shot at being proven right in not extending that guy. Jordan Zimmerman. The Detroit Tigers in November 2015 signed Zimmerman to a five-year, $110 million contract. There were people who asked the question of, why are the Nats just so content in letting Jordan Zimmerman leave via free agency? Jordan Zimmerman over five seasons for the Tigers, his age 30 through age 34 seasons 
had an ERA of 563, and he accumulated 0.9 wins above replacement for baseball reference, okay? Not in a season, not per season. I'm talking about over five seasons. He didn't even total a full win above replacement for baseball reference. (laughs) That is atrocious, okay? That is atrocious. How about Ian Desmond? The Texas Rangers in February 2016 signed Desmond to a one-year contract. There was a lot over Desmond's final year or two with the Nats of, you know, the Nats making an offer to Desmond and Desmond turning it down. And I remember talking about it saying that was one of those offers that the Nats knew would be turned down because the Nats didn't really want to sign Ian Desmond to a long-term big money deal. So he ends up leaving via free agency after the 2015 season, spends a year with the Rangers, ends up signing with the Colorado Rockies the following offseason. Here's the bottom line. Desmond's four seasons away from the Nats, 2016 through 2019, which were his age 30 through age 33 seasons, saw him total minus 0.3 wins above replacement for baseball reference. Desmond, over his four seasons away from the Nats, was a below replacement level player. And again, like Jordan Zimmerman, Desmond's time away from the Nats began exactly, precisely as he was going into his 30s. You look at those homegrown guys who the Nats have extended. You tell me, would you redo these deals? The Steven Strasburg contract? The Nats in December 2019 resigning Strasburg to a seven-year, $245 million contract. Now, that was not technically a contract extension. That was a resigning. Strasburg technically did become a free agent. Now, remember, the Nats extended Strasburg initially in May 2016. He could opt out after that 2019 season. He did opt out. And uh, the Nats ended up paying him big, seven years, $245 million. We don't have to go through everything right now with Strasburg, but that right now stands as, if not the worst contract in major professional sports, among the worst contracts in major professional sports. That blows away the Chris Davis contract with the Orioles. That blows away the Albert Hainsworth contract with Washington from years ago. And then there's Ryan Zimmerman. And everyone loves Ryan Zimmerman. But look at the specifics of the extension that he signed with the Nats. The Nats in February 2012 re-signed Zim to a six-year, $100 million contract extension. Zim, over the life of that extension, 2014 through 2019, which were his age 29 through age 34 seasons, played in more than 115 games in a regular season just once, just once, and totaled 5.2 wins above replacement for baseball reference. Everyone loves Ryan Zimmerman. He was not worth six years, $100 million from 2014 through 2019. So if you are a Nats fan and you're upset over Trey Turner being traded away and Trey Turner not being extended, I understand it. He was a very good Nationals player. I'm not here to tell you otherwise. But also understand the history of these mega money deals. They rarely work. And specific to the Nats, You tell me, where exactly have they gone wrong in terms of not extending someone, not re-signing someone? You want to say Anthony Rendon? Let's see what happens with Anthony Rendon. He had a very good 2020 season. He has not had a very good 2021 season. He's hurt a lot. The biggest issue with the Rendon departure is how the Nats have replaced Rendon, okay? If Carter Keboom is killing it, uh, I don't think people are thinking twice about Anthony Rendon. But because Keboom, at least so far, has not been very good, because the Nats haven't found a better solution at third base, people fixate on Anthony Rendon leaving. I would not do that. Let's see what ends up happening with Anthony Rendon. Say what you want about the learners. I have. I have criticized the learners plenty over the years. I thought what happened with the Bud Black fiasco after the 2015 season was an embarrassment. Mike Rizzo wanted to hire Bud Black. The negotiations fell apart because the Nats wouldn't pay Black what he wanted. I mean, who cares if the guy wants an extra million dollars or whatever? It's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. The Nats wouldn't pay Bud Black what he wanted. We'll never know what the 2016, 2017, and 2018 seasons might have looked like had Bud Black ended up becoming Nationals manager. But when it comes to paying players, you got to be fair. The Nats have a top 10 payroll in Major League Baseball basically every season. The learners are not cheap when it comes to paying players. And in this case, with Trey Turner, it's not the learners being cheap that you say is behind not paying Trey. It's the learners, I think, being smart that is behind not paying Trey. You tell me what you think. Hit me up on Twitter, at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. 
All right, so on Tuesday's installment of the podcast, episode 114, I, shall we say, gloated. I high-stepped over the Orioles having won at the New York Yankees 7-1 on Monday night. We engaged in some scheduled fun in our Orioles segment in episode 114. Well, on Tuesday night, we got a good old-fashioned comeuppance as the O's got smashed at the Yankees 13-1. Yes, 13-1 was the final. I invoked the name of Jimmy Superfly Snooker last segment. I will invoke the name right now of the legendary Iron Sheik in this segment. You know what Sheiky Baby likes to say, make him humble. The Orioles got made humble at the Yankees on Tuesday night. Make him humble. Yes, Sheiky Baby. The Orioles got put in the camel clutch by the Yankees. The O's got made humble in the Bronx. Make him humble. Exactly. The Yankees finished with 13 runs on 15 hits and no walks. Yeah, Yankees had 15 hits, no walks on Tuesday night. Uh, But the Yankees went 7 for 13 with runners in scoring position. The Orioles starting pitcher, Alexander Wells, uh, he was not well. Six runs in two into third innings after the game was optioned to AAA Norfolk. O's now are an American League worst 38 and 68 with an AL worst run differential of minus 100. 43. That is some tanking job. You being outscored by 143 runs in a season. Look, the only thing I really want to get into with this game is this. Uh, Keegan Aiken has been demoted to reliever status. Uh, So the O's on Sunday activated Keegan Aiken from the COVID-19 injured list, which he had been on since July 21st, and placed Tanner Scott on the 10-day injured list with a left knee sprain. But Aiken now is being used as a reliever. Uh, We saw Aiken used as a reliever in the Orioles 6-2 loss at the Detroit Tigers on Sunday afternoon. Aiken in that game faced three batters in the Tigers' two-run seventh, allowed an RBI single, another single, and an RBI sack fly. And then Aiken in this 13-1 loss at the Yankees on Tuesday night was used essentially in mop-up duty. Uh, Did do a good job. He tossed three scoreless innings, but this is a big deal that Keegan Aiken, who for a good chunk of spring training was perceived as likely to make the Orioles season opening rotation, has been anything but a mainstay in the Orioles rotation this season. So Aiken was so bad in Grapefruit League play this past spring training that the Orioles optioned him to AAA Norfolk last March 26th. The O's recalled Aiken from AAA Norfolk this past May 10th, but Aiken has not done well. Uh, Aiken, at the time of his placement on the COVID-19 injured list, had allowed 36 earned runs in 28 and a third innings over his last seven games and had an ERA of 819 over 13 games, including eight starts at the major league level this season. He goes on the COVID-19 IL, and now that he's off it and Tanner Scott is on the 10-day IL, Keegan Aiken, at least right now, is being utilized as a reliever. I don't know that this is a permanent thing for him. Um, I'm sure he'll get another shot at some point to start. I mean, the Orioles aren't exactly oozing uh, with lights out arms in the rotation these days. And the Orioles are so in on analytics that I think the line is increasingly blurring for teams like the Orioles when it comes to starters and relievers. Like for a lot of teams now, it's just pitchers. Okay. And so you don't really get caught up in who's a starter and who's a reliever. Plenty of guys get used in both roles. But again, The thought back in March was that Keegan Aiken might be a piece for the future in terms of the Orioles' rotation. Uh, You can't say that with any kind of certainty right now. And Aiken, at least for the moment, is being used as a reliever. I mean, you think about it, Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer, these were two young guys who, again, were thought to be likely to begin the season in the Orioles' rotation. You have what's happened with Aiken. You also have what has happened with Kramer. Uh, The O's on June 25th optioned Kramer to AAA Norfolk, and he has not been seen since at the major league level. Uh, That, by the way, was the second demotion this season of Dean Kramer to AAA Norfolk. He had been optioned to Norfolk on May 26th and had been recalled on June 14th. Dean Kramer this season, over 12 major league starts, has an ERA of 725. Uh, Kramer got shelled in a special kind of way in an Orioles 9-0 loss to the Toronto Blue Jays in Buffalo on June 24th. He allowed six runs and recorded just one out. And it's especially disappointing with Kramer because Dean Kramer was one of the guys who the Orioles got from the Los Angeles Dodgers in the package for Manny Machado in July 2018. So it is instructive. I mean, if you're a Nationals fan, right, you think about all these guys who the Nats just got back 
in the big sell-off. There are no guarantees with these guys. That is true. And maybe it works out for Kramer, just like maybe it works out for Aiken. But right now, uh, neither guy is in what you would say a great spot. But I think it's worth saying, for a lot of starting pitchers who end up being good, they're not good from the get-go. Like, it does take time with a good number of guys. So you do have to always remember that with starting pitchers. Game three for the Orioles at the Yankees, Wednesday night at 7.05. And looky, looky, who is starting for the Birds, Matt Harvey. Can the ride continue? Will the surge go on? Matt Harvey, incredibly, off all of his struggles this season, is in the midst of having thrown 18 and a third consecutive scoreless innings. This is amazing what Matt Harvey has done. He was in some kind of rut. I mean, Matt Harvey, prior to this recent stretch, had an ERA of 770 on the season. Matt Harvey, prior to this recent stretch, had allowed 51 earned runs in 41 innings over his previous 11 starts. And yet Matt Harvey has tossed 18 and a third scoreless innings over his last three outings. July 18th, six scoreless innings and a 5-0 Orioles win at the Kansas City Royals. July 24th, six scoreless innings and a 5-3 Orioles win over the Nationals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And then this past Friday night, Harvey, six and a third scoreless innings and a 4-3 Orioles win at the Detroit Tigers. He has gone from being perhaps literally the worst pitcher in baseball to now having tossed 18 and a third scoreless innings. You go, Matt. I advocated for you to be removed from the Orioles rotation weeks ago. So you know what? Keep proving me wrong, man. I love it. I mean, it would have been nice had this happened sooner. So you could have been traded prior to this past Friday's MLB trade deadline. But such is life. Uh, Matt Harvey, it's a good story. So we'll see what he does Wednesday night at the Yankees. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 116, will feature the latest from Washington football team training camp. You do know that one week from Thursday is Washington's preseason opener. Yeah, Thursday night, August 12th, is Washington's Preseason opener, Washington at the New England Patriots, Thursday night, August 12th at 7.30. Ron Rivera versus Bill Belichick. Don Ron versus Belichick in the preseason opener for the Washington football team. Uh, Also on Thursday's show, we'll see if we finally have resolution on the Wizards and Spencer Dinwiddie, and we'll discuss whatever else may have happened for the Wiz in NBA free agency. And we'll see what goes down for my guy Paolo Espino in his start for the Nationals against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park. And my other guy, Matt Harvey, in his start for the Orioles at the New York Yankees, does the Matt Harvey consecutive scoreless inning streak go on? 18 and a third is where we're at now. If that bad boy gets extended, say, well into the 20s in this game on Wednesday night, that's it. The world is ending. That'll be a sign that the apocalypse is nigh. In the meantime, have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. You mentioned the position flex is important.